Welcome. And uh, welcome online. We're going to start with a word of prayer, and then we will be in Luke 17. So, Scott, could I call on you this morning to pray? Amen. Okay. Well, we're going to take one more swipe at the question, what is the connection between forgiveness and faith? Seems like there's at least three ways those link up. We need grace to do it. Okay, that would be a great place to start. Apart from me, we can do nothing, including forgive brothers or sisters who wrong us or per we perceive have wronged us. What else? Huh? Oh, I thought you were just going to jump in on that one. Need more coffee? Okay. That's true. Yeah, we. What day is. Any other connections between faith and forgiveness? They work together. Right, and, and how? How do they work together? That's what we're trying to get at. So you're right, and that's what Jesus connected, because when he talked about forgiving your brother seven times, the response of the disciples was, increase our faith. So they understood there's some kind of connection of faith to be able to do what he just said. And Fred already hit on, we need his power to do it. What else might we, Paul? We need faith to know that God is the ultimate uh, judge. Okay, good. He's going to meet out justice. Right. Can you, anybody think of a text that talks that way? Go ahead, Russ. Oh, man, I'm, I'm misreading cues here, but I, I better get to the eye doctor. Romans 12. Romans 12 would be a classic passage. Would somebody read 17 through 19? fight of faith kicks in because bitterness and unforgiveness and revenge are saying you'll be happier if you even the score and this promise from God is saying you'll be happier if you follow me and do it my way and let me take care of that person and take care of you and take care of that situation and then we fight that fight and that's faith so Tom? along the same lines but it's is the inclination of our flesh to want retribution. Oh, absolutely. It's God who is the one that will exactly. Yeah, this isn't just 
come naturally. This comes supernaturally. Okay. Tammy, did you want to add anything? No. Okay, I'm 0 for 3 on guessing on people. So make a very large, clear, I'm asking or commenting, okay? Because these, these little mini gestures are just faking me out to say. Okay, I'll be honest. I like missed it. There was some commotion back here. So what was point two? Okay, point two was by Paul, not St. Paul, but his namesake, um, namely that we, we fight by faith in promises that God will take care of the situation and not try to take care of it ourselves. Thank you. I think we said a third piece would be just like we trust a doctor to know what's best for us and follow his orders, even if we think, eh, I really don't want to do it that way. Um, we trust him enough to do it, or a mechanic. <laughs> do we know more about the car than our mechanic? No. <laughs> so we might think, well, I think it's just a carburetor or whatever. And like, well, we don't even have carburetors anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, it's fuel injected. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> you know, so we should probably listen and follow what the mechanic says. And here's Jesus saying, forgive as often as it takes by faith. <laughs> And we say, okay, Jesus, you know best, and so I will follow you. I trust you. That's faith. And, I, and they say, increase our faith, because like, okay, yeah, I trust you, but wow, that's a stretch. And so it's like, increase our faith. And so how did Jesus respond to that request to increase our faith? You remember from last week? Good. So what's his point? It's not the size of the faith, it's where the faith is placed. Right. Very good. Very good. So any comments or questions about that exchange between Jesus and the disciples about forgiveness and faith? What should we remember when we start feeling entitled to special recognition or special blessings because we're serving the Lord. We looked at three texts. One is in Luke 17. say that? You want to read it to us? Sure. Well, in Luke, well, Luke 10 it says or 17.10 So when you have done all that you're, you were commanded, say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Okay. Or ought to have done. Sure. Okay, so that's just a good reality reminder. Uh, we're not getting any special points or bonuses or extra blessings accruing because we did what we should do. Um, and then, remember, we also looked at uh, Acts 17, God doesn't need us for anything. And Romans 11.35, God doesn't owe us anything. So uh, we should be like the Navy SEALs who, when they're just getting drilled by their uh, drill sergeants, they just say, just happy to be here, sir. Um, we, we should be, be thankful for the opportunity to serve and not think, I'm getting points for this. And when I have a prayer request I really need, I'm going to cash those in. Okay, Lord. Did you see me last week? Huh? I volunteered to help with something at church. 
So you kind of hint, hint, owe me a solid here. I need this prayer today. It doesn't work that way. Okay? God is never obliged to do something over and above just giving us a breath. He's not even obliged to do that. So, um, so any comments or questions on that? Okay. What should we remember from the story of the ten lepers who were healed? Kelly, yes, thank you for making that nice and clear. Right? And why was that something Jesus called out? Scott! <laughs> this is much better, by the way. <laughs> this is better on everybody. I, I, if I remember, as I look through it, it's that the others may have made excuses they were going to go get cleansed and then come back and thank him as opposed to we should be thanking God immediately for the blessing that he gives. Okay. Good, good. Mark? Um, I think it goes right back to what we just talked about. God doesn't owe us anything. And I think the other nine being Jews assume, well, this is what God's supposed to do for us. Oh, okay. Hadn't and thought so of that angle. Only the uh, Samaritan didn't assume he was owed that. Okay, good, good. And then just something to remember, too, is feeling glad about something is not the same as giving thanks for something to God. So consciously giving thanks honors God. Remember Psalm 50, 23, he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving glorifies me or honors me. And a lack of thanksgiving dishonors God. And that's Romans 1. They knew there was, um, even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give him thanks. So that's a double indictment about dishonoring God. So any comments or questions on giving thanks? Kyle? It's kind of like how our, our society treats Thanksgiving. The oh, sure. Is that, yes, they're thankful in general. They're thankful to the universe for what they have or whatever. They're not thankful to God, who is the giver of right. every good and perfect gift. Very good. Any other thoughts or questions on Thanksgiving before we keep plowing through? Okay, well, let's read Luke 17, verse 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Okay. So, let's start with what is the kingdom of God? We've seen this in Luke several times now. How he would help to have a refresher. Okay, I'll take this one. <laughs> God is the rightful king of all people. To whom everyone owes allegiance, he's God. All of us have rebelled against the king, 
And the kingdom of God is the reclaiming of people to be in a right relationship with the king along with all the benefits and responsibilities of belonging to him, including submitting to his kingship. Okay? He's king. <laughs> We're out of step with that. We want to be king. We want to be our own kings. And coming into the kingdom, remember we saw in John 3, can't even see or enter the kingdom without being born again. You need a new life and a new heart to want to obey the king um, and to be forgiven for your rebellion against him. Um, so that's what Jesus is talking about. And it's, isn't it interesting? The Pharisees are asking when. That's a little bit of a surprise, isn't it? Why would they be asking about that? seems like that's a big piece of the expectation is uh, an earthly kind of kingdom, take out the bad guys, bring us back to the good old days of David and Solomon, uh, restore things the way they should be, make things right. That was kind of the main focus, and Jesus had talked about the kingdom, and so it's like, okay, let's do it. And so even the Pharisees are saying, when is that going to happen? Because we're all in favor of that too. And then remember, after the resurrection in Acts, the disciples are asking, "What, Lord, is it this time you're going to restore the kingdom?" Um, so it's it's on people's minds, but again, it's often a different definition of kingdom than what Jesus has in mind. So how does Jesus answer their question? Okay, good. And what else does he kind of throw in there? It's in the midst of you. Okay, good. Um, it's in your midst because I'm here in the midst of you, right? I'm launching the kingdom. It's right in front of your eyes if you have eyes to see. And so maybe you've heard the illustration before of Jesus coming and death and resurrection was the equivalent of D-Day was the decisive launching of the Allied retaking of Europe. Um, wasn't over yet. There was still over a year left of the war, but it was more mop-up at that point, not like starting from scratch. You know, D-Day was a decisive, okay, this is a turning point in the war in Europe. It's not over yet, and so Jesus' coming, death, resurrection, ascension is... The decisive moment, it's mop up till he comes back, but it's it's the decisive thing has already happened. Does that make sense? Okay. Um what whoops. I guess we need to read some more verses to get at that. Um, let's read twenty-two through twenty-five, please. his disciples, the time is coming where you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes, flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected 
by this generation. Okay. So what's Jesus' point here? Right? And, and why shouldn't we listen to them? Well, he's instructing them not to. Right, right. But what reason does he give? Because it's going to be big. Okay, how big? Like, like lightning across the whole sky big. Okay, very good. So, kind of two parts. It won't be a quiet, hidden thing that somebody has to tell you about. So my favorite illustration of that is, okay... Did you know that Jesus came to Brooklyn, New York in 1914? Actually, I have the date if you want it. But Okay, so that's what the Jehovah Witnesses say. That Jesus had a private, secret appearing to the original Jehovah Witness type people. And that's when they started. And here saying, no, don't listen to people saying, he was in Brooklyn, you should have seen him, we were there. Like, no, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be very obvious to everybody in the world, not just the people that lived in Brooklyn that day. Okay? So let's look at another text, two texts about that. Matthew 24, 27. Matthew 24, 27. Revelation 1, verse 7. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Okay, so how many eyes are you going to see Jesus when he comes back? Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> right? Not just private viewings or private appearances. It's the whole world will see him when he comes back. So his return is public and visible. Okay? Those kind of texts tell us that very clearly. So any comments or questions on that? Does someone address question if they're looking for coming up the kind of kingdom where it takes Israel and elevates it back to what they wanted, maybe that's a little closer to what they had in mind when Jesus returns and establishes his final kingdom, I guess. That's wondering. No, that, maybe there's, that's in there a little bit. I, I'm not sure. Uh, sounds like he's turned in and said that these words to the disciples, so he answered oh, the Pharisees. And now he's kind of directing his attention to his own followers, so maybe seems a little break in context there. Any other thoughts or questions on what we've seen so far? Jesus is going to keep talking about his return, and so let's go 26 through 30. as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. 
they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So besides noting that Jesus believed in a literal historical flood that destroyed the earth and a real literal destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is worth knowing <laughs> that uh, those are historical narrative in Genesis and not just some legend or something. Jesus himself endorses that. But how is his return like the days of Noah and the days of Lot? Massive destruction at the end, right? People won't see it coming. Very good. Totally unprepared for the judgment that's coming. And what's happening up until that event? Normal life. Normal life. Isn't that just the ordinary activities of life? Buying, selling, getting married, eating. I mean, just ordinary, average Tuesday afternoon, right? Nothing big, obvious, oh, I bet today's the day because all these crazy things are happening. It's like, just going on about your business like any other day, bam. Okay, so that seems to be his point there. Um, any comments or questions on that? Is that fair? Let's at least take Noah. Did the rest of the world, besides the eight that were saved on the ark, have any clue judgment was coming? Yes. Oh, that was a yes-no question. I'm sorry. That I don't want to do those. <laughs> How do you know that? Second Peter, right? What does it say? That he was a prophet of righteousness. For a preacher of righteousness, right. So Noah was not just building an ark, he was preaching righteousness to his contemporaries. So they had warning, and as best as we can tell, 120 years worth of warning. But once God shut the ark from the outside, remember, it's too late. Once the rain starts coming, it's too late. You can't change your mind now that judgment is starting. So there's this the urgency of get right with God now, on an ordinary day, because there's no guarantee this isn't the day when judgment will fall either on the whole world or on you individually that you're going to die. You know, you might not wake up tomorrow morning. Is it Howie? Sherry. Sherry, not even close. I'm sorry, <laughs> Sherry. Doesn't it give a clue as to the timing? Because when you look at the times of Noah, it says, you know, everybody was evil at the time. Mm -hmm. all the hearts were only evil all right, the time. Right, right. And Lot, you know, when... Sodom and Gomorrah happened, you know, look what, it says every man was at the door of that, right. you know, was at that door, so just the prevalence of evil has to be so great that God just won't take it anymore, okay. so it gives us a clue to the time of when it's going to happen, or if it's going to happen. Well, so, yeah, so especially for believers, there's clues. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 5, I think it says, but you are not in the darkness, but of the light that this day should take you by surprise, or like a thief. So believers have the inside scoop 
we know things like that and other signs that Jesus gave us to look for that are at least the beginning of birth pangs, wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, all these upheavals, all this chaos. Get ready, keep your seatbelts on, not an exact day and hour, but yeah, it wouldn't be surprising that you come now given what's going on. Um, so you're right, there are clues, but only believers have eyes to see that. Otherwise, it's business as usual, like he just said here. People just going about their normal activities and clueless, deliberately or otherwise, that judgment is going to come. So, no, thank you, Sherry, that was a good point. Any other thoughts on that? How do you, how do you balance that in your brain? Because I feel like the end of the world should have been coming for the last hundred years. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Probably not making sense here. No, that makes sense. And yet, I still need to make the next meal. You know, mm -hmm. like life mm -hmm. still needs to happen. Right. So, I don't know. No, that's a great question. Um, so it's encouraging to know other believers in other generations have thought it should have happened at least, if not in the last hundred years, at least in their lifetime. Um, what we don't want to say is something like, if God doesn't judge America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology, like a very famous person said. Uh, God never owes anybody an apology, including for his timing on when he chooses to judge America. Um, so that, that sense of, wow, I'm paying attention. It sure seems like this is the kind of time Jesus very well might come back because of all the evil and all the wars and rumors of wars and all these other things he said. Be paying attention to those kind of things because they are at least harbingers. Is that a word everybody knows? Um, just sort of hints that it's coming without telling you, okay, I got a calculator out and, you know, we went through that a few weeks ago, remember, with all the predictions of actual dates and months and years of when Jesus come back. No, don't do it that way, but at least have a sense of readiness and awareness. Yep, you still make meals and send the kids to school and everything else, and you pay attention at all. I want to make sure I'm ready for the Lord to come back. Does that make sense? Yeah. And some days, obviously, the focus is more on the ordinary, and some days in Sunday school, if you're talking about the Lord's return, you go, oh, that's right, I need a reminder. This isn't the way it's always going to be. He is going to come back. Um, when Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew 24 about this, all of the clues that he gives are, I guess you could call them vague. I mean, they're all they're all things that are uh, wars, rumors of wars, evil, earthquakes, famine. Those are things that have been going on in our fallen world okay. throughout history. Okay. And goes on to say that it's not, the time is not for us to know. It, it, it even says it's not even for him to know. Only the right. Father knows the time uh, of his coming. And so we're not called to great speculation. We're not called to sit on a mountain and, and wait mm -hmm. for it to happen. Right. We're called to be about the things that he is actually called. Right. I remember hearing a probably apocryphal story about you know a couple of Christians arguing about the timing of the Lord's return. Um, the final answer was, I'm not on the planning committee, I'm just on the welcoming committee. 
I think that's a good answer. <laughs> it's like, I don't have to have all the dates figured out. I just need to be doing what God's called me to do so that I am ready. Remember, we talked about that. What does it mean to be ready? When, what are the, the servants are doing what the master told them to do, right? That's being ready. So if he's called you to make meals or go to work or whatever, then do that, you know, and you're ready for the Lord's return. If, you know, you get distracted by trying to set dates, you're probably not going to be as ready as people that are just doing what they're supposed to do. Does that make sense? Bob? I had a good brother of mine that uh, every time I see him and ask him, uh, how's it going? You know, how you doing? He'd always say, we're one day closer. Hmm. So. Well, and that's very biblical, actually. Um, there's a text in Romans 13 where Paul says, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. So the elapsed time, <laughs> whether that's from yesterday or when we came to Christ, is closer than it was before that. So, yeah, it's good awareness to have. Any other thoughts? Okay. Well, Jesus isn't done yet. Let's talk some more about 31 to 37. Where, Lord, they asked, he replied, where there, are, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Okay. So some of you are old enough to remember the old song, I wish we'd all been ready. Great song. <laughs> <laughs> so there's an original version, and then there was like a rematch or remix mix of it um, a few years ago. But, I mean, that's where they're getting this, two men walking up a hill. One is gone, the other is gone. Some of you remember it. But what's the point of those verses besides giving you lyrics for a song? What's the point? Okay, good. Good. Somebody say, be prepared? Yeah. So be prepared. A separation is coming, and once it happens, it's too late, and it's coming suddenly. So again, that idea of being ready at all times, it's like, how do you be ready for a surprise quiz? You just have done your studying all the time, so it doesn't matter when the quiz comes. If you think you're going to cram the night before because you figured out, according to calculations, and what color... You know, sweater the teacher wore the day before. Oh, tomorrow's the surprise quiz. You probably won't be ready. It won't be that day. It'll be a day you don't expect. And that's Jesus' point over and over. If you won't have it calculated, just be ready all the time. Then you don't have to worry about it. Okay? 
Why should we remember Lot's wife? <laughs> I love that. That was perfect. <laughs> I wish I would have brought my... <laughs> there you go. Okay, so so what should we learn from that little dramatization? <laughs> still loving the world. Okay, yeah. Divided heart. Still love the world. Good. Well, we started this off talking about the kingdom of God, right? Mm -hmm. And so our focus needs to be on eternity and the kingdom of God rather than on turning back to temporal things. Okay, good. Remember, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So that's our priority is seek the Lord and his kingdom and not look back and go, ah, oh, I missed the earthly kingdom. I missed the world stuff. Um, because that just says a heart isn't where it needs to be. And what do you make out of verse 37 about vultures? Not like maybe the most obvious verse, is it? I don't know if this is what you're looking for, but I'm thankful for them because they clean up. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I have not seen that before. So good, good reminder. <laughs> well, on the spiritual side. What were you thinking? Be careful when you ask that question. Keep your own study Bible. There you go. The keeping it real study Bible. Vultures eat roadkill. That's why they're good. Angela, you had a more thoughtful story. It is, yes. It's just a guess, too, and it might be about at the same level. I don't know. But there's a... <laughs> that was a slam. <laughs> Ouch! Okay, now Luke 17 started with, if your brother sins against you, forgive. <laughs> I saw, because I read a bunch of stuff on it to try, like, I have no idea. I didn't even come up with Rokil or that, so I was like, I am clueless. What is this verse about? And the best explanation I came across, um, you can vote yay or nay, is judgment will happen where it needs to happen, just like vultures always find dead bodies. Judgment will go where it needs to go. And vultures don't just fly around for nothing. They know they have a mission, and they're going to go where 
the carcass. Really that far off Montana, no, it's similar. It actually is similar. <laughs> The vultures are a word picture yeah. or, or an illustration of what's coming. For the enemy of God? Or just, oh, just for you're going to be destroyed by God. Yeah, so the judgment is coming, and, and it will go where it needs to go in this earth, okay. just like vultures go where they need to go to get their food. It, again, that's my best attempt stealing from somebody else. Okay, so... when the Lord comes back and he's taking with him his children and those who are left or not of his children, whether that's the rapture or not. Um, yeah, this is the kind of language that is often used for the rapture as far as the, you know, being taken, being with the Lord, um, being left behind is, is not a good thing. Um, we spent some time in Revelation just trying to look at texts that say, you know, does that happen seven years before the Lord comes back? Does it happen when it comes back? That in the middle of that. Um, and, and sincere Christians have come to different conclusions about the timing of those, that seven-year span. Um, but that language sounds like people being taken out and left behind. Yes. When they say where of the Lord, are they saying where are they taken or where are they being left? Because it's not clear whether they're being, you know, they've been taken where, Lord, well, to judgment, or they've been taken the ones who are, does that make sense? Yeah, it's a, yeah, I'm not sure what they're asking on the where. Maybe it's not important really what the answer is, just the point that there's a separation that happens, but it just makes it sound like, well, where, Lord, you know, when they said in the other, one will be taken and the other left. Well, where? Well, where the corpse is, you know, it's judgment. It almost sounds like they've been taken to judgment, but maybe that's not yeah, it, the I, point here. I, I just don't know. Yeah. I don't know what was behind their question. Sure. And and apparently Jesus' vague answer <laughs> answered it. Um, and it almost seems to fit more with where are these people left? And it's like they're left at the place of judgment like Sodom, like Noah, like they're, they're still here when judgment falls. The others are taken to safety in the presence of the Lord. The others remain and experience God's judgment that's coming. Is my, again, best attempt, but not infallible. Kim? Okay, going back to, we were talking about how it's obvious, right? It's not going to be hidden when he returns. Right. There you go. <laughs> Over here, the coming of Christ will be as obvious as the gathering of vultures around the carcass. Like, it's going to be obvious to people. It's not going to be hidden. It's not going to be just one person somewhere. So. Right, and you and already used the image of lightning from under the sky there. So, so, yes, it will be public and visible and obvious, um, but not predictable on actual dates. Caleb? Is this like one left, one staying? This is before the coming of Christ, right? Because like the people who are left are like left to stay on earth, right? Until the judgment. This is an actual judgment yet, right? Okay. So there's 
Or is this there's like two models for <laughs> what this looks like. Well, this is, so, this so one model is, I'll, uh, and again, you all know the standard model is, we get zapped out seven years before things get ugly, seven years happens, and then Jesus comes back, right, and settles everything. Okay, an alternate model is, like if you remember the parable where, um, well, there's actually two where the wedding party goes out to meet the groom and then comes in with him. It's actually the word that going out to meet is the same word of, ah, where is it? What text? See, I wasn't ready for this discussion. I, thought I was all ready for vultures and lightning. <laughs> but anyway, the idea, the alternate model is there is a rapture. We are caught up with, to be with the Lord in the air, First Thessalonians 4. And we come down with him in his return. We're accompanying him and his angels, and that's the second coming in the end. Okay, so um, we can look at that again another time if you want. But um, so there is a rapture, there is a second coming. What's the relationship between those two? Christians have come to different conclusions. So, and I've already told you which one I think it might be, even though I hope I'm wrong. Paul. Doesn't it just fit in with the story of Noah and Lot, though? That God chose to save Noah and his family. He chose to save Lot and his family. He's going to choose people to save. And they're going to be with him. Is what he's saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, I mean, there, there's the, definitely a separation between God's people and... It's the same story. Yeah, on a much bigger more, scale. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, this is just my hot take. When they ask where, Lord, there, there are two destinations, so it, we don't even necessarily have to press in to say, is it before or after? I mean, they're saying the ultimate destination is only two places. You're either with the Lord or you're where the vultures are. And again, I think he's continuing to, to try and defunct this idea that the only thing about the kingdom of God is that it's going to be Israel 2.0 on earth. Okay. So he's trying to tell them, this is spiritual stuff, guys. This is, this is end of the world stuff. This is I'm coming back and my kingdom is going to be established on a greater level than you're even thinking, Pharisees or disciples or otherwise. Okay, good. And so, where, where, Lord? Well, you're going to be with me, or you're going to be with, with where the vultures are. You're going to experience torment and death, and it could happen at any moment. And it's going to be big when it does. So be ready and be ready now. Those are the big pictures of, of the second coming that I think Jesus is pointing to here. And that's my. Sounds like a guy that had an eschatology class in the oh, seminary. Yeah. <laughs> I had one too, just many years ago. <laughs> That's a good point, because it's like two in a bed, one goes, two women working at the well, or grinding weeds, or whatever they were doing. Um, these are likely two Jewish people, and one goes and one stays. Two Jewish people, one. It's not like the Jews stay and the Samaritans are, are punished. Okay. So it's like... It's, it's not your identity in, in Israel right. that determines where you go. It's, it's something else. Mm -hmm. it's something Good. Than that. Yeah, you can raise up stones to be children yeah. of Abraham. So yeah. don't count on that ethnicity to yeah. get you to right with God. Good. Well, any other comments, questions, unsolvable mysteries? All right. Well, that seems like a... Great stopping place, and we finished Luke 17.
And Lord willing, we'll do start chapter 18 next week. So, Thomas goes to